Well, happy new year to all of you and uh, wish you all God's riches, God's best to you in this new year, 2010. It's the last year of this decade and uh, also according to the Hebrew calendar, it's, it's the 5,770th year in the Hebrew calendar. It's 30 years short of 6,000 years. And if you're looking at it, God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. We're 30 years short of those, that 6,000-year period. But it's also the, last, the period of the last generation. A generation lasts about 40 years. We're in the period of the last generation, according to the Hebrew calendar. So it's kind of interesting to see where we are as far as time is concerned. You know, the, uh, the, the New Year's Eve service, what we do is to take some time to hear what we call as the word of the Lord, which essentially is what God is saying to us for that year. And I just want to review very briefly 2009 and then move into the word of the Lord for this new year. The word of the Lord for last year, 2009, was simply a year to break through into destiny. And what we believe is that this is something God speaks to us as a body, as a church. God saying, look, this is what I intend to do amongst you for this year. Even as God had a very unique message to each of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we believe that as we listen to God, he has a word for us. It doesn't mean that's the only thing God will do. There's, of course, God does a lot of other things and uh, God has been doing a lot of other things. But this is one of the things God will highlight in that year just to motivate us and, uh, and show us that this is what I'm ready to do. And so the word of the law for last year, 2009, was a year to break through destiny. And just looking at, at the lives of people in our churches and our congregations, I know that some have experienced breakthrough in key areas of their lives that has placed them in their destiny. It doesn't mean everything's been fulfilled. Nothing gets fulfilled. Or I shouldn't say all your whole, your life's destiny doesn't get, life's destiny doesn't get fulfilled in a single year, of course. But it's been a year when God moved you into that place of destiny. You broke through into your place of destiny. Now for some of us, I believe that we have, many of us have been brought into our place of destiny. Although, not necessarily through pleasant circumstances and pleasant experiences. We've been positioned for breakthrough. However, this positioning may have come through moments of destiny that came into our life or maybe perhaps a process that came in through, through a process of change, perhaps an unexpected change or an adjustment or even through a painful process of challenges and hardships. But I believe that through it all and regardless of how the process took place in your life individually, I believe that God's got many of us in our place of destiny. Where he wants us to be, where we could then, uh, then where he could unfold God's, his plan, his purpose, his call for our lives. We have gone through our labor pains and we are now ready for the unfolding of our destiny. Amen. I believe many of us are there, broken through into our destiny. Now as I get ready to present the word of the Lord for 2010, I just want to say what I normally say every year before we give the word of the Lord, which is that we believe in a God who speaks in the now. Amen? 
We believe in the written scriptures and God's written word is our gold standard. That's what we live by. There is nothing, uh, no prophecy, no now word from God can substitute or take the place of the written word. We all understand that. Amen. This is our gold standard. We live by this word. We live by the promises of this word. We live by God's word. And yet we know that not only do we need the written word, we also need the now word. What is God saying to us now? Here and now. And it's very interesting if you look in scripture that the blessing of God comes to those who diligently hear the voice of the Lord throughout scripture. God says, if you will listen to my voice and obey it, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Which, in, which means that you, know, you and I not only need to hear the written word of God, but also what God is saying to you, to me, in the now. That's important. That's a criteria to experience the blessings of God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You are entitled to hear the voice of God. It's your right as a, as a sheep of the Lord, so to speak, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. And you hear the voice of God and you follow him. So, although we, I'm going to present to you the word of the Lord for 2010, I want to make it very clear, we are not substituting the written word of God. All of us are going to live by the written word of God. Amen. And we also believe that, all, and also the word of the Lord will highlight, is intended to highlight one of the key things that God wants to do in, amongst us as a church. Amongst as a congregation, amongst us as a people who are connected to all people's church and, and, and our churches around who are connected to us as a body. Uh, uh, this is, the word of the Lord is a, is a word that highlights one of the key things that God wants to do amongst us. And, and it, it is not to say that this is the only thing God's going to do. Amen? That's the other thing I want to make it very clear. That this is not the only thing God's going to do. God is going to be doing a lot more things in each of our lives to the course of this year. But this is one of the key things we will see happening amongst us. Which God is calling us into and God wants us to believe him for. So as I was waiting upon the Lord, tuning my heart in and saying, God, what would you tell us for 2010? What should I say to the church? Uh, This is the word of the Lord for 2010. Two words came into my mind at that time. I was just waiting on God. And uh, this is what I would present to us as the word of the Lord. For 2010. That 2010 for us is a year of reconciliation and restoration. 2010 is a year of reconciliation and restoration. Can you say that with me? Reconciliation and restoration. Let me just give you an overview of it and we're going to break, get into the depth of it. 2010 is a year of reconciliation. To reconcile means to make friends again. It means to settle, to reunite, to bring together, to put right, to resolve. So 2010 is a year of reconciliation. It's a a year, a reconciliation of relationships that were unsettled, disturbed or disconnected for various reasons. Reconciliation will require action from you and me. God will require you To take steps towards reconciliation. Reconciliation would also require restitution. Meaning that you giving back what you've taken or settling what is due. Asking and giving forgiveness and keeping promises that have been made. 
But here's the beauty, the beautiful thing about reconciliation. It will bring healing. Both to the one who extends forgiveness and to the one who receives forgiveness. Reconciliation will open the door for the blessings of restoration that God desires to bring into our life. Amen. So 2010 is a year of reconciliation. And 2010 is also a year of restoration. What do we mean by that? It means that God bringing in to your life that which has been withheld from you. God bringing into your life that which has been taken away from you. And God bringing into your life that which has been wasted away. That's restoration. Amen. And when I first heard these two words and that came to my spirit, I said, God, you know, I'm better, I just need to validate this. I want to validate, I want to make sure that this is what the Lord is saying for us as a church, as a body, as individuals. God, I want to validate it. And I just want to share some interesting things that happened right after I received this word, uh, reconciliation and restoration. Probably the very next day, I I don't remember, I didn't write down the exact dates, but probably the very next day I was meeting with one of our our people here in church and uh, we were just sitting in a uh, a mall, in actually the food court mall and just getting to know this brother here in our church, just listening to his life story and so on. He was sharing what God was doing in his life. And in the process, he just began to share how about two years ago, God led him uh, to take some steps to be reconciled with his father. And over the years, he, had, he didn't have a good relationship with his father. But two years back, God led him to take some steps to reconcile with his father. And not only that, to reconcile other things. He, he began to talk about uh, things that he, things that promises that he just kept. He went, uh, things that he had not done, he went and did it. Some money he had to give, he went and gave it. And all these things, he just began to do it. And since that time, he has seen God move. Especially in the area of his work, profession, so on. And here I was, I was sitting and listening to this. Inside me I was saying, God, this is what you're saying. Reconciliation will bring restoration. Amen. And then I'm just saying, okay, God, I need more validation. I need to validate what you're saying. God, you're saying reconciliation and restoration. I need to validate. God, what are you saying? And uh, I was getting ready to send a message to somebody, just a word of encouragement. And uh, I was going to send that message. You know, sometimes you can send an SMS just to encourage people. So, so I was going to send an SMS. And, 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 and I was getting the words, say, reconciliation and restoration will come. So I typed it. I said, God, I cannot send this SMS. How can I say it? You know, I need to know that this is you saying it. Because it was concerning his difficult situation. And and if I send this SMS, it better be from God. So, you know, usually SMS, you just type something, press send, it goes. But this one, I held back. I said, God, I need to know. I need to be sure that this is what you're saying. But the words tell them, reconciliation and restoration will come. I took the step. Believe God and send it. And so I was just waiting to say, God, give me more validation. I need to know if this is what you're saying to us as a church. And, and just, I think it was the same week, these three things are happening. Third thing happened the same week. Pastor Steve comes to me, he says, you know, uh, he was, he went into a restaurant. Uh, he was just had his, I don't know, had something there. He was just praying. And suddenly somebody he met a long time back, he actually prayed for this person. 
And sometime, long time back, he'd met him. And that person actually walked into that same place. The last time Pastor Steve met with that person, it was a very unpleasant scene. But now, it just, God just orchestrated this person comes in. And, and Steve's wondering, like, should I go meet him? Should I not meet him? Should I meet him? Should I not meet him? And eventually he goes and meets him. And everything is totally different now. It's such a pleasant meeting. I'm saying, God, you're saying reconciliation. Reconciliation. And there was another outstation call that came. And that person said, please pray. And they're saying, they said, please pray for reconciliation. I'm saying like, God, in just a matter of a few days, you're confirming over and over again, this is the message. So when I say to us, to us this, mor- this morning, early morning, that uh, 2010 is a year of reconciliation and restoration, I'm standing here with full confidence saying, this is the word of the Lord for us. Reconciliation and restoration. Amen. I want you to receive it. And let's just get into the depth of these two words. Reconciliation. 2010, a year of reconciliation. God wants us to work on reconciliation relationships. So that he can bring restoration in areas of our lives. In all things in our lives. And God really wants to address all kinds of relationships. Husband, wife, parent, child, family members, friends, workplace Within our church and across churches. He wants to see reconciliation take place. In all these areas. Amen. Jesus taught us that it was very important. To be reconciled with people. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24. Jesus said you know. If you bring your gift to the altar. And at that time you remember. That your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar. Go, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's very strong. He's saying, before you come to worship, if you know, not that you have something against the brother, but you know that the brother has something against you. That means you feel that that person, something's wrong. They are not relating to me rightly. It's one thing to say, you know, I'm upset about that person, but yet God, I forgive. But it's not talking about you having something against somebody else. But it's saying, if somebody else has something against you, and you get the wind of it, it says, you go get reconciled, then come and worship. That's how important reconciliation is in the kingdom of God. If you and I have hurt or wronged someone, he wants us to apologize and ask forgiveness. If you and I owe a debt, he wants us to pay it. If you and I have made a promise, he wants us to keep it. If you and I have slandered, falsely accused, spoken wrongly of someone, he wants us to confess it and seek pardon. If there's a misunderstanding, he wants us to explain and clear the air. He wants us to do all we can to reconcile, to make peace and maintain a clear conscience. Amen. To reconcile means to change. To change from enmity to friendship. It refers to a change in the part of the one that is actually prompted by the action of another. So you cause reconciliation to take place. You prompt it. You induce it. Because of something you do. You cause reconciliation. 
you cause someone to go from being an enemy to becoming a friend. You know, Peter came to Jesus one day and I think he was the first accountant in the church. But he was keeping an account of the wrong that was being done to him. And he couldn't keep track of it. So he comes to Jesus in Matthew 18 verses 21 and 22 and he says, Lord, you know, how often can a brother offend me and, and I still have to forgive him? I'm losing count, Lord. So how often? I mean, what's the limit? And Jesus says to him, and I mean, Peter, Peter proposes, he says, you know, is seven a good number? You know, seven, it's God's holy number. Is seven a good number, Lord? And Jesus' response is, not seven, Peter, but 70 times seven. Meaning, don't keep account. Just keep forgiving. Releasing. Release the other person. Don't keep account. There are some areas that I believe that we as a church must take very seriously for reconciliation. I want to address two of them here this morning. It's about marriage. I believe that 2010 will see reconciliation in marriages in our church. Can we have an amen to that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, he says, To the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. He's saying, look, this is God's command. What's it? A wife is not to depart from a husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul said, this is a command of the Lord. A wife is not to depart from a husband. If she does, let her remain unmarried. But it's better, he says, or be reconciled to a husband. The Message Bible puts it like this. If you are married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. There are many of our marriages in our churches that are hurting, that are on the verge of breaking up. But here's what I believe God is saying to us, that when there are no biblical grounds for a separation, we must understand that God wants us to pursue reconciliation, not separation. Amen. There are no biblical grounds for separation. God wants us to pursue reconciliation. Husbands, wives, this is a year of reconciliation. And I also believe that God wants to touch the relationships between parents and children. For whatever reason, as children grow up, there seems to be this whole divide that comes in between parents and children. But we are in that generation when Malachi wrote about Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Here's the forerunner spirit. The spirit of Elijah. He says, I'm going to send Elijah to you before the Lord returns. What's Elijah going to do? Verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth. With a curse. Many of us love the mantle of Elijah. We talk about the spirit of Elijah. We talk about the spirit of a forerunner. 
But let's look at the characteristic of that spirit. What is it? The anointing of Elijah. The spirit of a forerunner. The anointing that God will release at the last days is an anointing that will cause the coming together of parents and children. The turning of the hearts of the fathers toward their children and the heart of the children towards the parents. Not a severance, not a departing. So if you and I are really carrying the spirit of a forerunner, your heart will be, be towards your home, not away from your home. If you and I are really walking on the spirit of Elijah, your heart will be moving towards your parents, not away from your parents. And if you and I are really walking on the spirit of Elijah, as parents, our heart will be going after our children, not away from them. And this is what the Lord wants to do amongst us. He wants a coming together, a building of bridges between parents and children, between two generations. Because this is the spirit of Elijah. This is the kind of anointing that God will release right before the coming of the great day of the Lord. Amen. I believe the Lord wants to establish that amongst us this year. The turning of the fathers towards the children. The turning of the children towards the fathers. The building of a bridge between these hearts. And he says, if that does not happen, it will cause the blessing of God to be absent and instead a curse will come in its place. And none of us want to be in that situation. Amen. But this is the anointing God's releasing in this day, in this hour. Restitution is so important because in Second Samuel, the 21st chapter, verses 1 to 14, we read of an amazing story. David has established his kingdom. He is ruling wonderfully. Uh, he has you know, conquered all his enemies. But suddenly, there are three years of famine. Three years of drought in his kingdom. So David begins to pray and say, God, why am I facing famine? Why am I facing drought in, in, in Israel? Why is there this drought? And he begins to inquire of God. And God speaks to him and he says, you know, here's what's happened. When Israel came into this land, they made a covenant with the, a certain group of people saying, we will not in any way harm you. They made a covenant as Joshua brought the people into the land of promise. But then along, after all the judges and several hundred years passed by, along came King Saul, the very first king, and he broke that covenant. He went and attacked these people. And God is saying, David, David, the reason you're having three years of famine is because Saul violated a covenant. You need to go and make restitution with this tribe. They're not even Jewish people. You need to go and res make restitution. Reestablish this covenant. And then the famine will stop. And in 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, you read that David goes back. He apologizes. He makes restitution. And he breaks the yoke of famine and drought over the land. Very important. Reconciliation can reverse famine and drought in your life and mine. Amen. Confession and prayer is a powerful way to make restitution. Now we read James 5 in the context of healing and prayer. But James 5.16 says this. It says... Confess your trespasses or confess your faults one to another 
and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Very interesting. Confess your faults one to another. Now that doesn't mean I stand up in the pulpit and during testimony time I take the mic and tell everybody, hi everybody, I, I did this foolish thing. No, that's not the thing. It means that if I have hurt somebody, I go to that person and I confess my fault to that person. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. What will that do? That you may be healed. Are you all awake this morning? You know, I'm the one who sleeps early. You know, But you guys are night owls. You should be like really awake. Amen? Come on, give me some amens and things like that just to help me stay awake, you know. Alright. So James 5 says this. He says, you confess your fault to your brother and you pray for one another so that you may be healed. Do you know, it's quite possible that the one thing keeping you or me away from healing is this very act of reconciliation. The preceding verse says, you know, if any is sick among you, call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. But he attaches one more thing which we normally don't use, which is, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Here is another thing that you need to do to receive your healing. Confess your faults. Pray with a person that you've offended who's been hurt and that can unlock your healing. Powerful. So sometimes what you need is not another person anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord praying for you to be healed. Sometimes what you need to do is to go to somebody that you've offended, confess your faults. That might be your key to receiving your healing. Not the anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. You say, how do you know it? You've tried it several times already, haven't you? So go one verse after that. And try that. Confess your fault. One to another. And pray for one another. So that you can be healed. And then it talks about the prayer of a righteous man. The context of effectual praying is in keeping clear records with people. I don't believe you can be a great intercessor if you're not reconciled with people. Amen? And think how powerful this is because in Job, the 42nd chapter, the 10th verse, the Bible says that the Lord restored Job's losses when he... All right. Job 40 to 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Now the Bible is being a little polite when it uses the word friends. At that time, I don't think Job considered them his friends. Because, you know, you read all this thing they told about, told Job, Job, maybe you did this and that's why all this calamity came to you. Maybe you were like this, Job. Maybe you were committing all the sin in secret. I mean, they were anything but being friendly to him. And it's very, it's quite possible that Job Job's greatest pain did not come from his circumstances. 
probably his greatest pain came from the words these friends were speaking to him. And I strongly suspect that Job must have been boiling on the inside towards these three people. And you know, when after all the talking is over, God comes on the scene, he rebukes these three people, his three friends, and he says, I want you to go back to Job and offer to him an offering, or in his presence make an offering. In other words, you go make friends, make amends to Job. And Job, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. That probably was the last thing on his mind. Job was saying, when will they get rid, finish their cup of tea so we can say bye? You know. But God is saying, Job, I'm not going to let this end that way. I see what's happening. I see these friends have really pierced you through with many sorrows. They have made minced meat of you. And so you're boiling on the inside. But here's my remedy for you, Job. You pray for them. Pray for them. And the Bible says when Job prayed for his quote-unquote friends, the Lord restored his losses. Reconciliation will bring restoration into our lives. When talking about restoration, a challenge you and I face will, 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 will will have to encounter, will have to face is this, you know, how can I face somebody whom I have wronged? How can I go back and tell them, you know, what I did was actually wrong? I actually made a mistake. That's our greatest challenge. How can I go back and face somebody that I have wronged? How can I go tell them? It requires courage. It requires humility that you go back and say, you know, I messed up. I'm wrong. Forgive me. There's a great story of Jacob and Esau that you and I are familiar with. In Genesis, the 32nd and 33rd chapter, you know Jacob, he was always up to mischief. And one of his pranks was a very serious prank. He stole his brother's birthright. He got him to write off his spiritual inheritance in exchange for a bowl of porridge. You know, Esau was very tired one day and Jacob knew his weakness. He said, okay, I'll make you this. I don't know whatever the porridge was. I'll make you this porridge, but you give me your birthright. He stole it. He took it away in in a not so nice way. And then he went and got his father's blessing. Pretended that he was Esau. Got his father's blessing. And he ran away under the guidance of his mother. Go to your uncle's house. So he runs off to his uncle's house, spends 14 years there. God blesses him in spite of, all, in spite of it all. And, and then finally God comes to him in the 32nd chapter of Genesis and says, Okay, Jacob, time's up. Time to go back to your father's house. And the Bible says, Jacob was very afraid. And God said, it's time to go home. We got scared. Because now he's got to meet the person he has wronged, Esau. 14 years later. So Genesis 32 and 33 talk about Jacob's whole fear of how he was going to go and meet Esau. The man he wronged. And he comes up with all his plans. He says, you know, let me send him lots of gifts. They say, you know, Esau is coming to meet, meet you. Esau has heard you're coming back. He's coming to meet you with 400 men. Oh, 400 men. Jacob is so afraid. He's going to you know, kill me the moment he sees me. 
And so Jacob makes these plans. He says, let me, you know, send all these caravans of gifts. And he, he creates these three separate lots of, you know, all livestock that he can offer to Esau as a gift. And he kind of says, you know, at least all this will pacify his anger. He must be really angry with me. But the night or the morning before the day that Jacob can meet Esau, Jacob has an encounter with God. God comes to Jacob. And Jacob, the Bible says, he, 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 he wrestled with God until daybreak. And, 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 and the angel of the Lord said, you know, it's time for me to go. And he said, I will not let you go until you give me a blessing. And God gave him this blessing. He said, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. A name change means a change in the character, the nature of the person. You were Jacob, the one who offended your brother many, many times. But I'm making you an Israel. I'm making you a prince. When you go meet Esau today, go meet him as Israel, not Jacob. So you say, how can I face people who have wronged? How can I face people who have offended? Maybe intentionally, unintentionally. However, here's a little encouragement. Face them, not as Jacob, but as Israel. Face them as the new person you are in God. Face them but the grace and the ability that comes from your encounter with God. Amen. Because it's, that's the place you get your courage from. That's the place you get your humility from. That's the place where you know He is your glory and the lifter up of your head, even though you messed up. Even though you wronged somebody. He has made you an Israel. Amen. So go meet them as Israel. The second part of God's word, word of the Lord for 2010 is that it is a year of restoration. Amen. Reconciliation will open the door for the blessings of restoration that God wants to bring in. We saw in James 5.16 and the example of Job and how the blessing of healing and restoration follows the work of reconciliation. And even concerning Malachi. God said in Malachi, concerning Elijah, in Malachi he said, Elijah will come and he will bring reconciliation between the fathers and the children, between parents and children, between families. He will bring reconciliation. In Matthew 17, 11, Jesus put this. He said, when Elijah is coming, Elijah is coming first and he will restore all things. Malachi said he brings reconciliation. Jesus said he brings restoration. These two will go together hand in hand. In hand. For the person who seeks God earnestly, reconciliation, which is repairing of the breach, and restoration, which is rebuilding, which is raising up of old waste places, will always go together. Isaiah 58 talks about people who seek God, and Isaiah 58 12 says this Those from among you will build up the old waste places, they will raise up the foundations of many generations. What is that? That's restoration. And you will be called the repairers of the breach. What is that? Reconciliation. You're standing in the gap over something that's been broken. The restorer of streets to dwell in. For a people who seek God, reconciliation and restoration go together. Amen. As you work on reconciliation, restoration will accompany you and your life. I believe God will bring restoration in 2010 in three areas for us. And I want you to listen carefully. There will be a restoration of that which has been withheld from you. 
you felt that something should have been given to you in a previous season of life. But for some reason, it didn't come. It seemed like it's been withheld. But in 2010, what you should have had but didn't will be released into your life. Restoration. What has been withheld will come. The Bible tells us in Psalm 84 verse 11 that the Lord God is a sun and a shield and he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. What has been withheld from you? Which you think should have come to you last year or the year before or in some previous season of your life. I want to announce to you in 2010 as you work on reconciliation God will supernaturally bring restoration of things that have been withheld from you into your life in this year. Joshua and Caleb are a great example of this. It was no fault of theirs, but for 40 years their inheritance was withheld. Not their fault. God had to deal with a generation of people, of uh, unbelievers. They were ready on day one. To go and take their mountain. They were ready on day one to possess their inheritance. They were ready on day one to step into their destiny. But because of the company they kept. Because of things around them. It was withheld from them for a period of 40 years. But it was good news. At the end of 40 years. God still made sure that these people stepped into their destiny. That these people possessed their inheritance. Amen. And 2010 will be that year for many of us. What has been withheld for whatever reason. God will restore it into your life this year. In 2010 there will be a restoration of what has been taken away from you. There is an enemy that we face. Who comes in and robs from us. He takes it away from us. What God wants to place in our lives. For whatever reason, he gains entrance in and he robs it from us, takes it away. The Bible says in Proverbs the 6th chapter, verse 30 and 31, that when a thief is found stealing, he has to restore a sevenfold of what he has taken. And I want to announce to you that 2010 will be a year of restoration of what's been taken away from you. And I want to encourage you to demand a sevenfold return. And say, God, this has been taken away from my life. I had it. I was enjoying it. But it was taken away from me. I asked for a sevenfold return in 2010. The Amalekites came in and invaded David's and his uh, people's possessions in 1 Samuel 30, verses 18 and 19. They carried all those goods away. David inquired of the Lord, saying, God, should I go up? And God said, go, David. You're going to recover everything. And sure enough, David recovered all that had been taken away. There was nothing lacking, small or great. Nothing lost or missing. David recovered all. Do you believe God can do that for you and me today? If he did it for David, he can do it for you and me today. A restoration of everything. That has been taken away. And lastly there will be a restoration. Of that which has been wasted away. Sometimes in our lives. For whatever reason. Maybe our mistakes. Maybe the things that others have done. A lot has been wasted. 
time may have been wasted, energies may have been wasted, opportunities may have been wasted, things may have been eaten up, taken away or wasted away in our lives. And God speaks to his people in the book of Joel, and you and I are familiar with this in Joel 2.25. He says, listen people, you've gone through a period of wasting in your life. There have been all kinds of locusts coming into your lives that have wasted this nation. There has been the swarming locusts, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, the chewing locusts. All these great armies of locusts have come and ravaged this nation. But I am announcing to you, God says in the book of Joel, the years that have been wasted, I will restore. 2010 will be a year of restoration of what's been wasted away. For whatever reason, there could be several different reasons why time, energy, money, other things in your life and my life have been wasted. But there's a God in heaven who lives outside time. There's a God in heaven who can compress time. There's a God in heaven who can make accomplice in a year what could not be accomplished in many years. A restoration of what has been wasted. So I want to encourage us this morning to have faith for restoration. Before you leave here this morning, I want you to rekindle faith in your heart and say, God, I will have faith for restoration in my life in 2010. What? has been withheld from me? What has been taken away from me? And what has been wasted in my life? I want it restored in 2010. Have faith for it. God requires faith. God responds to faith. He does see your need. He does see your pain. He's touched by the feelings of our weaknesses. But he still requires faith in our hearts. I want to close with this good news that when God restores, he all, it always comes with a multiplication factor. It always comes with a multiplication factor. It's always greater than what was. Job's case is a great example. It says God restored in Job 42 verse 10 and 12. God restored Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 12 says that the latter days of Job were more The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Can God do that for you? He can. He can do it for you and me. Have faith for restoration, for multiplication. Haggai 2 and verse 9, God speaking to his people who are looking at a broken, ruined temple and he tells them this, listen, the glory of this latter temple will be greater than the former. Solomon saw great glory when he first built the temple. But when you guys rebuild it, I will fill it with greater glory. The latter will be greater than the former. Is God's promise. So believe God for restoration in your life. He will do it for you and me. We're going to take some time to pray before we close. We're going to pray. We're going to partake of the Lord's table. And then we'll dismiss but here's what I want us to pray. Number one, I hope you brought a pen and paper. We didn't give you advance warning. If you haven't, you try to take it from the person sitting next to you as soon as they're done. And in case they don't have a pen, use your cell phone, use your mobile phone, use your PDA to write. I want you to write down areas in your life where you desire to see reconciliation. Have some faith. 
Say, God, I want to see reconciliation in these areas of my life. I may have wronged somebody or somebody may have wronged me. But reconciliation is so important because that should precede our worship of God. That's commanded by God. And that's the kind of anointing he's releasing on his people in these last days. A spirit of reconciliation. So I want you to take a moment right now just to write down, or if you don't have a pen and paper, just mentally write it down in your mind or in your heart, however you want it, wherever it sticks. And say, God, in 2010, I desire to see reconciliation in these areas of my life. Here are relationships that, that have gone wrong, that have become unsettled, that have been disturbed. But God, I want reconciliation. I will work on it. I'll take some action. I'll make restitution if need be. And once you've done that, I want you to pray and say, God, with your grace, I'll work towards reconciliation. With your empowering, I'll work towards reconciliation in these areas. And then, I encourage you to write down areas of your life where you desire to see restoration. Whether it's something that's been withheld from you, something taken away from you, or something that's been wasted away. Just write it down or talk about it in your heart to the Lord. And then we're going to pray. I'd like to call our worship team up and just give you a minute to finish. And then we would request people to stand. Just take a minute to finish if you're writing or you're praying. In the meantime, I'd just like to request the team to come up, please. We release the working of God's Holy Spirit. We release the power of God's spoken word. To bring reconciliation in relationships. In homes. In marriages. That husbands and wives will be joined together. Relationships will be healed. In the name of the Lord. That marriages will be reconciled. Lord we release the word of reconciliation into homes. But the hearts of parents will be turned towards their children. And the hearts of children will be turned towards their parents. Because this is the anointing that you are sending to your people. In that generation before the coming of the Lord. So we send the word of reconciliation into families. Into homes. And Father, even in we send the word of reconciliation to relationships, whether it's in workplace relationships, friendships, or even right here and among relationships right here in this body, God. Let offenses be forgiven, hurts be healed, misunderstandings resolved, and a uniting of hearts take place. Let reconciliation come. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.